to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Better Golf. I am your host, Tee Off Sports, and as always, I am joined by my man, Sticks Picks, to break down this week's Memorial Tournament. If you aren't doing so already, you can find both of us on Twitter at those handles or give us a follow at Better Golf Pod. But Nick, it was a massive tournament for the show at the Charles Schwab. I know you hit Sam Burns pre-tournament at over 30 to 1 and also found success in the placement market. But talk to me a little about your week in general and how many units you ended up when everything was said and done. Oh, it should have been an epic week. Uh, Sam Burns obviously helped a ton. Cam Davis top 40 helped a ton. But I was I was texting this too. I was insanely exposed to Brian Harmon top 40. And my God, he could not have played well. I think he was in dead last after day one, if not tied, tied for last or a stroke off last and played very good on Friday. So... I don't know what the hell happened on Thursday. I think he went in the water two or three times, was terrible off the tee, terrible approach. I just, it, that sucks. But other than that, I mean, Maverick McNeely was a letdown in the top 40 market. Usually I don't take like even money top 40s, but he graded out so well for my model. Missed the cut on the number. I believe he was putting for par for about three, four feet. Correct me if I'm wrong on 18 on Friday. Pushed it right, missed the cut, so that was funny. Ricky Fowler kind of had a debacle over the weekend, but other than that, it was great. I mean, to have an outright of Sam Burns over 30-1 to 1 was huge. He's, like I said, I think we were talking about it, the first pick of my fantasy draft for golf um, this season. Probably my favorite player right now on tour. I think he's really coming on, especially once he's accurate off the tee. He can just be insanely dangerous. Kind of got a little bit lucky with the weather draw on Sunday morning, but, man, he just went absolutely nuts, and it was really cool to see him make that putt. Um, in the playoff against Scotty, because that was a, I mean, he was on the fringe, pretty tough shot. I would have told him just, you know, lag it, get ready for another playoff hole with Scotty, and he just holds it. So I was actually at a bar in Milwaukee watching that happen. So that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, how about you, man? Yeah, it was a good week for me also. We had been so close repeatedly on an outright since the Honda Classic. I actually looked because I was curious, but I had selected 21 top 10 finishers between the Honda and the PGA with 11 of those either holding the lead at some point or eventually finishing inside the top three. None of that should come as a shock since outrights are the most volatile wager in the space, but it felt nice to land on the right side of a finish after a handful of close calls, especially since I was able to add burns on Thursday night at 90 to one. Uh, The head to head wagers remained on fire for me. Five and one there. I texted Nick on Sunday that it took McCarthy out gaining Glover by over six shots in round four with the flat stick to lose that wager. But nearly 65% through 55 pre-tournament head-to-head bets in 2022. The in-tournament plays have been even better at 66.10% through 59 chances. I know those are somewhat unsustainable totals, but I am picking and choosing the best few matchups weekly at the five most accessible books for everyone listening. The wagers have been over 56% on the pre-tournament play since 2017 through nearly 400 bets. The in-tournament choices are a smidge below 62% through 266 selections. For me, I know that my largest edge comes in any sector, and it's going to be the head-to-head market for me. Uh, Nick would probably say his comes from placement bets, but my best advice to everyone listening would be to find where the majority of your upside is coming and start honing in more and more in those areas. Do you have anything else you want to add to that, Nick, before we get into this week's event? No, I love it. I think it's a good little educational segue there. Outrights are insanely volatile. It's actually been a decent year for me in terms of that. But yeah, I mean, 
what's great is my top placement markers actually weren't that good last week in terms of like units lost gain because I had so much on you know Brian Harmon maybe just a lesson to everybody else like have a max play I think I whatever like I I rarely go over like one and a quarter units on a top placement market and I went well into like six with Brian Harmon I just I think for me it was personal that points bet wasn't changing the number because it was a bad number whatever we beat the closing line by like I don't know, damn near 50 points, 47 points, I think it was, which to date, I think is the second highest value I've had on a ticket besides when Scotty was like minus 150 to finish top 40 at the waste management, which made no sense. I think he ended up closing at like 210. But so the expected value for me on that ticket was huge. And I don't necessarily regret it, but I definitely got stupid. And I was texting you that too. I was like, I don't really care. Like I do have my betting sheet that I share with some of my friends and people in the industry and whatever. I would not put six units on Brian Harmon in there. So I wouldn't recommend it, but it was, to me, it was just like personal. I was like, someone eventually has to wake up and see that this is a bad number. So I put way too much money on that. They did move to the numbers. So shout out to them, but they, uh, they beat me. So <laughs> all good, but Sam Burns, uh, it was actually, I believe at the same book, I got Sam. No, Sam Burns was DraftKings, actually. So points bet did take a killing for me with Brian Harmon. So you're welcome, guys, if you're uh, tuning in. Points bet, risk I, management I, people. But I will do it again, I think. It's, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll be a little bit stupid. I wouldn't teach it, but I don't know. I got carried away, and I just – I thought it was a great play. I think he was the highest-owned person in uh, high-stakes DFS, too. Like, Harmon was by far the most-owned player. So obviously, like – Usually I'd like to fade him there, and that's where I, kind of where I got my exposure is this, he has a great week, finishes in the top 40. That's fine. I was fine fading him in DFS because there's really not a ton of upside with a guy like Brian Harmon, but my God, when the course history, like, and that's why I don't give a shit about course history. Like, yeah. what the hell? But Friday it mattered because he played his ass off on Friday, but it just was too little too late. I actually have two things that I just thought of that I wanted to mention quickly before we move on. So one, I did hit Webb Simpson in about a 30 way tie last week for first round leader. <laughs> so nine guys, eight guys. Yeah. It ended up being profitable though. So that was, that was a positive in two, which I know we keep stressing is that you don't have to be perfect every week. It literally takes one sector of the market to have a winning contest. And then the massive tournaments take place when you have two or three go right you are likely massively overexposing your bankroll on outrights if you find yourself winning in other areas but still struggling to grow a bankroll when outrights don't come in. 100%. I got swept across the board on the placement bets. It was not a good card whatsoever there. Luke Donald technically got a chop at plus 400 that ended up resulting in a loss since he tied directly at 40th with about eight players. But it's why building the structure of your card is so important. I was still able to earn nearly nine units for the week because of the win on Burns plus the head-to-head success, even though I gave multiple units back in the placement market. When you do that in a more strategic nature, plus shop around for the best price you can find, I promise that you will see the longevity and success of your bankroll improve over time. But all right, Nick, let's try this again. Anything else you want to add or do you want to give any quality words about Webb Simpson before we move on? Um, I believe I had Senjay head to head in a gentleman's bet against Webb Simpson and I win. So other than that, no, let's, uh, let's get after it. If you want to commemorate that victory, uh, I can buy you a belated wedding present. That's a canvas of Webb Simpson's face. If you want to hang it above your bed. Uh, no, there's no room right there right now, but you know, maybe next house save that for the next house or something. All right. Well, I'll keep that that in mind. 
Sounds good. So we have Mirfield Village, 7,543 yards, par 72 bent grass greens. Last five winners of the tournament are Patrick Cantlay in 2021 at 13 under. I do want to preface that by saying John Rahm had a six-shot lead as he walked off the course on Saturday, but was forced to withdraw after contracting COVID. If you are running a model, you should just give Rahm the victory total from that. Rom did win the title in 2020 when he was able to get through four days at nine under. Patrick Cantley pops up a second time in 2019 at 19 under. Bryson DeChambeau at 15 under in 2018. And then Jason Duffner 13 under during the 2017 contest. All of that should show that course history does matter. I know Nick and I are not course history guys, but it, it, you know, there is going to be some extent that it's going to matter. It doesn't mean I am eliminating players solely from poor results but I likely will need some sort of an answer that I can formulate if I want to overlook the bad finishes in the past. I will get into my thoughts here in a second, but I'll start with you, Nick. What did you notice about the property and what did you weigh statistically to try and gain an advantage? Yeah. Um, it's a big around the green course. It looks like looking at all the past days. So it's kind of looks like Augusta to my model, but a little more penal rough, I think. So off the tee positioning, I think helps a ton being a long hitter. I like, I think there's certain ways to, attack the course obviously the par fives there's a, you know one of them is insanely long and the green's tiny so you probably can't stick it anyway so i think just being accurate off the tee a little bit of distance if not a really good long iron player i think matters a lot to me but being around the green and just i guess tee to green i should say tee to green everything putting i i don't know i know they redid the greens a year or two ago but I obviously love good putters. I think it's a big part of scoring and winning a tournament. But in terms of guys like I'm and like for DFS, if I'm just looking for cut makers, I want guys that are great iron players and great around the green. So it's probably not a week that I go to Hovland. I'm sure the DFS market will fade Hovland too, but I don't know. He hasn't been playing that great. So I know I liked him a ton last week, but yeah, that's uh, not a week. I'm going to play Hovland, a guy that just sucks around the green. I don't mind Hovland as much as uh, you do this week, but I mean, as far as the course is concerned, it's hard to start anywhere other than this towering total that sticks out on the page of 7,543 yards. A yardage amount like that speaks for itself when it comes to the man that will present to the field. But it's essential to note that Nicholas and his crew added 150 of those yards to the mix during the 2021 iteration of the contest. Thick rough will add to that danger and present potential pitfalls for players in the field who cannot locate the short grass off the tee. But we have seen this venue yield accuracy returns as high as 70.2% in the past, which is an 8% enhancement over a typical test. I would be cautious in overanalyzing the ease of connecting since the past two years have had six of the eight rounds result in what would be classified as difficult hit fairways. But if nothing else, it should further emphasize the need for quality total driving. 13 water hazards and 73 deep bunkers encapsulate the property. And we see approach play and short game both highlighted as top factors on the track. Strokes gain approach in 2021 saw a 6% increase when it came to dispersion of scoring. And the 18.8% total in strokes gain around the green is 4.3% above average. Add all of that to the urgency players will feel to produce on the par fives and the safety that will be needed on the collection of par threes and fours that range from similar distances over and over again. And we get this test that can be hypersensitive on the greens because of the speed and overly complicated when it comes to the iron play since extra rollout can put players into a ton of short game scenarios that will require the ability to get up and down from various lies. So I started my model with a hefty total on that weighted tee to green that Nick was talking about. It's going to be 40% there. I took a recalculation of the stats and instead combined a mixture of ball striking, 
proximity from 125 to 200 yards and strokes gain around the green to try and mimic the historical totals that the track has produced. To give a little more to that answer, the ball striking first looked into total driving and took a 60-40 split of distance over accuracy. I then took 50% of that total and merged it with my GIR numbers to get the final ball striking mark. The weighted proximity totals are relatively straightforward. All I did was look at the past five years of data and then redistribute the percentages as if the only iron shots that mattered were taking place from 125 to 200 yards. And then I inserted strokes gain around the green to round out that category, the exact percentage for each mimicked historical data, but it ended up being a heavy weight of iron play and a higher than average total of around the green data when all was said and done. Weighted fast bent grass, that is total plus putting for 10%. Strokes gain total at long courses with fairways that are anything but the most difficult to hit for 10%. That gave me an off the tee boost since I massively underweighted on the tee to green portion and eliminated any track that was producing data that was substantially below average in accuracy. 7.5% on Nicholas tracks. Like any specific designer, we get quirks that come into play here that aren't at other venues. And then I closed it with rather specific scoring zones that included 15% on weighted par four and 17.5% on weighted par five. The par five section did add in some of the long iron proximity that was ignored in the initial tee to green portion. And the par four scoring took a combination of multiple factors, including bogey avoidance numbers to account for the difficulty that those holes will possess. Top five of that model produced Jordan Spieth, Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Hideki Matsuyama, and Xander Shoffley. When running it for upside, I got Spieth, Rory, Hideki, Berger, and Hovland. It's hard to tell where Jason Day went wrong to miss the list, but <laughs> give me the top of the board for you, man. It is Rory McIlroy, John Rahm, Cam Smith, Xander Shoffley, and Shane Lowry. Shane Lowry, I believe, is eighth for me. He is fourth for safety. And uh, everything I've seen at the offshore books, he seems to be a super sharp ad there. Yeah, he, I, and his price is so damn cheap, too. I think that's a cash game staple this week. I would agree with that. Uh, do you want to quickly run through the DFS in the same fashion we did at the Charles Schwab? I thought we got in a ton of good insight addressed in that five-minute recap of going through each tier. Or did you want to take a different approach to this week? I'll leave no, I'm fine with that. No, I'm, I'm all good. You go ahead and lead us off. All right, so let's start up top. Uh, to me, it's a pick-your-poison spot in the $10,000 and up range. All five choices are ranked inside the top seven overall on my model. I'm not going to necessarily try to talk anyone into one player over another. But if you had to rank them, Nick, do you have a particular order of the five? Xander. I guess if you made me pick one that I'm lower on the rest, it would probably be Morikawa. He has the worst win equity of the five on my model. Uh, but then again, the rain early in the week should help him increase some of his iron prowess. Uh, do you have a favorite of the group? I think it'd be Xander for me. And I'd, I'm having a hard time besides uh, Rory or John Rahm. I don't know if I'm feeling Cantley. I know he's got incredible course history here and whatnot, but Rory is number one on my model and by a decent bit. I did not get to Jordan Spieth as much. I know he's in the 9K range, and I know I trust your stuff more than mine of, of all things, but I think it's going to be Xander and Rory for me up top. Yeah, I probably like if you made me order them, I would probably say Rom, Rory, Xander, Cantlay, Morikawa. I think that would be my five. I think that's probably the same order I'd have. Arguably Rory over Rom. 
Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. They're all very close. I, I just think Morikawa's like lack of win equity in the putter right now is probably the reason why I'm most out on him. But uh, all right, you mentioned Jordan Spieth. Do you have anything that sticks out to you in the 9K range? I love Hideki, and his ownership's yeah. not very high at all. I think Hideki's in a really good spot here. Matt Fitzpatrick's in a really good spot. He's just been playing insane golf. I know we probably prefer him when the weather's bad, but, you know, it could be a little bit windy on the weekend. But, no, I'm – I mean, Shane Lowry, I don't know if – is there – any advantage to playing Shane Lowry in GPPs, though, if he's going to be 20% owned? I feel like I'd rather just play him in cash, fade in GPPs, and go with a guy like Matsuyama or Fitzpatrick or below him, Sanjay M at 8,900, because I love Sanjay. That's the route I'm going to take this week. I like Lowry. There's nothing really negative to say other than the ownership, but 20% a lot. Like you, It's noteworthy enough that you have to mention it. I think he should be a staple for cash game builds, but... As you kind of mentioned with it, pricing is really good. And when that's the case, it means the chances we get a top name winning will increase. Um, you know, like maybe you, you have to pick and choose and make decisions here. That's the one thing I will say. You can't play everybody, but um, I am much more likely to kind of just stick to the top of the board and try to find spots underneath. And I, and I think there's enough ways to do it that you don't have to get stuck playing Shane Lowry. But the two for me that I like, I like Jordan Speeth at 9,700. I know the sharper books do not. But Spieth has performed as one of the top ball strikers in the world over his past few starts, averaging 9.38 strokes to the field tee to green. Unfortunately, things haven't exactly gone smoothly with his putter from there, but he does rank 39th in this field on fast slash lightning bent grass greens and has produced three top 18 finishes in a row at the venue. And then, as you said, Nick, one of my favorite plays is going to be Hideki Matsuyama at 9,200. There are similar concerns with markets not loving his upside, but the price tag and ownership totals are both perfectly acceptable for me. Matsuyama ranks first in this field when recalculating all non-putting numbers to mimic Muirfield, and he's one of the only three players uh, that has found himself inside the top 10 for both weighted par 4 and weighted par 5 scoring in my model. The other two would be Rom and Patrick Cantlay. I don't know if I necessarily have a fade here, like I'm not going to include Lowry. You can, if you want to play Lowry, you can still figure out a way to get different. Maybe if you made me pick somebody, Zalatoris at 9,400. Um, I mean, do you have a name that you would like to throw out as a fade? Yeah, Willsey for me. All right, so we're in the same page there, and then let's stop this in the 8K range. I'm sure we can discuss some DFS flyers when we run through the placement bets shortly. But there are two players that I specifically want to mention that are creating some of the highest leverage totals from 8K and above. The first, as Nick mentioned, Sungjae Im at 8,900, who has failed to come top 50 in his three attempts at the track. I can discuss him in greater detail when we get into the outright section. And then the second for me is Seamus Power at 8,000. I think it's very likely that both end up being sub 10% options. I know some users will believe Seamus is overpriced since the salary is placing him in the same category range as some of the hottest young players in the world. But the number is fair in my model, and the ownership is about half of what I believe is proper. I have no issues with Mito or Cameron Young either than their ownership. If you like them, play them. Uh, but uh, you want to elaborate some thoughts on Sungjae, and did you have any general thoughts on Seamus? Yeah, I think Sanjay is an excellent course fit. I know the course history really isn't there, and I'm sure that's why the market's down on him a little bit. I think the price is just fine there at 8,900. In terms of guys that are mid-30s in the outright market, he's right on par with a lot of those guys, Cam Young, Fitz, Shane Lowry. They are all right there, so it's a it's a fair price. Um, I think Corey Connors is a pretty good course for him if he's going to be around 10% owned. I like Daniel Berger if he's going to be you know around 5% owned. Um, I'm, I do 
do like Mito, but if he's Mito's going to be twenty percent owned, I think I'd bail on him in this range. And Davis Riley, I'm just, just I'm not buying yet. I'm, I know he kind of imploded on one hole for the most part last week, but eighty six hundred for Davis Riley, I'm I'm going to be out on that. Um, but Seamus, I absolutely love Seamus. When we get to my outright card, Seamus and Sanjay literally were the first two guys that I pumped. I don't know if I love this uh, Seamus number. I think it was sixty six to one on Camby shops, but. I had him priced at 55 to one. So 11 points of value there, you know, is significant in the outright market, in my opinion. So I got some decent expected value there, but yeah, um, not sure what to do with Neiman. I think he's a great fit. I think if his ownership's around 15%, I'd be okay with that. Abe answer. I don't know. Abe answer seemed to be a dog at most of the books that I respect in terms of guys in this price range, but Berger, Sanjay M and Seamus power intrigued me a lot. Yeah, we'll save some of the Davis-Riley talk when we get to the fade section. Um, I think we can get some good information on that. But before we move on completely, if you have one off the top of your head, who is your favorite golfer in the 6K or 7K range at this moment? I'd like to give – that's going to be the same answer I'm going to give too. We'll make this very simple. Uh, He's giving me the same upside as Aaron Wise at 5 or 6% less ownership, and he's also the top-ranked player I have in the section. But – Uh, All right, man. I guess that's a good segue into the head-to-heads or fades this week. We are still waiting for various books to release head-to-head matchups at the time of recording this podcast. I will say that the matchups this week in general are extremely weak. Books like FanDuel and BetMGM have to do a better job on the legal front of posting lines with less juice. Uh, You are just very rarely going to find an edge when you get minus 150 plus 110 discrepancies that FanDuel released to start the week. I don't know how you grow the space when you don't have competitive pricing throughout. I do know they changed those numbers a bit after to be more respectable, but it's hard to compete with the offshore market when you're shading the advantage so heavily in your favor. Like right off the surface, you need lines that are 30 points off to even find one side of the wager to be profitable. But with all that being said, I will give a few fade targets for this week. And let's start with Davis Riley. I am 100% out on him. I know the recent form looks great, but we are now chasing those finishes since books are placing him against some of the more high-end options. At the right venue, I can become more convinced, but I don't love how Muirfield sets up for his style. The around the green game is shaky. The irons are inconsistent. That is a bad combination to bring to this particular venue. I know we both found the play of Sungjae Im minus 136 on FanDuel against Riley. Do you want to talk about that a little? Well, besides the fact that it did open up as a 40 cent line, I believe you had yeah. it as right. Well, yeah. So that's absurd, but no, it's, it's a lot of juice. It's usually something I don't do. And it's maybe, again, this could be a little bit of a Harmon part two that I'm getting very exposed to Sun JM. I also have him as uh, he was a dog on FanDuel minus 102 to Cam Young. seems like mostly offshore market had Sun J minus 130 in that matchup. So maybe yeah. FanDuel is a little slow to flip the price or they respect Cam Young, which makes sense. It's a decent course for him as well. I just love all things Sun J this week. So I did take the minus 136 over Davis Riley. I did take the minus 102 over Cameron Young. And those are the only two matchups that I had. Actually, no, I got one more of Siwoo over Woodland. It's a, you know, minus 115 aside. So don't love that, but I do not like Gary Woodland all this week. I don't either. I like the Siwoo Kim play. It didn't make my card because I didn't want to start with the 15 cent line when I didn't have the biggest discrepancy to begin with. But I I don't, I don't have a problem with it. And I'm sure if you shop around, there probably will be books that you can find that have like a more natural 10 cent line both ways, or maybe you can even find a little bit better than that. And then the last player I will throw out there, 
I probably have similar sentiments with Max Homa. Sungjae just so happens to be the natural example that pops up again. But those two are minus 115 against one another on DraftKings. I'm sure you can shop around and find potentially a different opponent or a better price. But one, it highlights Sungjae being the natural leverage play for DFS. And two, it gets emphasized with Riley and Homa being the two worst values compared to ownership that I have on the board for DraftKings at over 10%. Uh, I will leave it there for now, though. I'll update any plays I make if I put them into my Vegas report article. Uh, but anybody else you want to talk about before we move on? Nope. Go Sanjay. Yep. All right. So let's jump into the placement bets for the week. I think we need a change in the order again after what I pulled last week. We can move me down to the bottom of the lineup and have you batting in the more important spots. So give me your first play at the Memorial. First play is going to be the Hammer Kid play of the week. Siwoo Kim plus 115 on FanDuel. My price is minus 135. I like What is there not to love? Obviously, the course history is great. I think it's three top 30 finishes in his past four times, and the other one was like 41st, so he just missed the four straight top 40s in a row there. Usually the putter is something that holds back Siwoo, but he's having a great feel for these greens at Mirfield. I believe he's gained almost a full stroke putting on the field on average since 2018. Deadly accurate off the tee. It's very solid ball striker. Really elite long iron play and a magician around the green. Grades out as a top 20 play for me in terms of safety and upside. So, like, he checks every single box. If he does not finish the top 40 today or this weekend, I'm going to be not as sad as I was with Brian Harmon, but pretty upset because I feel like, you know, my miles got him at minus 135. I feel like it should be that. If not minus 150, I'd even go down to. Yeah, I have Siwoo Kim 12th overall, 16th for upside, 17th for safety. I am also going to start us off with that play. And many of these guys that I will mention were players that my model liked when it came to outright pricing. But I still believe that the event's winner likely takes place from one of the first 20 names on the board. That means there are probably better ways to play most of these targets than investing money on an outright ticket to win the tournament. But with that being said, I do like Siwoo Kim in pretty much every market for whatever that is worth. Kim has posted four consecutive top 41 finishes at Mirfield Village since 2018. And while the current results are leaving something to be desired, the actual metrics look good when we eliminate putting. Kim has gained T to green in 10 of 11 starts, averaging 3.4 to the field during that time frame. And the flat stick entirely derailed his last start at the PGA Championship to the tune of negative 5.7 shots. This is one of those bets where if he gets hot with the putter, he can compete to win. But I'll start with the safer route here and back him at plus 115 to come top 40. What do you like next, Nick? I don't like it, but my model liked it. Matt Jones, plus 225 on DraftKings. My price is plus 175, so 50 points of value there. I guess it likes the recent form, the incredible iron play last week at the Colonial. Obviously, it's going to weight him very heavily this week due to what I put into around the green. Um, also pretty solid off the tee lately. I know we like Matt Jones on longer tracks. He's gained nine or gain strokes off the tee in nine of his past 12 events. But for me, this is just taking advantage of the expected value that my model has on the market there. And FanDuel, for the record, is at plus 170. I think that's much more proper, or at least close to it, than the 225 on DraftKings. So Matt Jones, probably the first time I bet him all year. I will continue to walk hand-in-hand hand with you at this point, since I also like Matt Jones this weekend. A lot of these spots that I'm going to mention, other than the Siwoo Kim play, these are going to be gross plays with heightened volatility. You know, you're probably better off just checking your app on Sunday to seeing if 
to see if they've won. But Jones's upside tends to come at these long courses that highlight around the green prowess. And he ranks 31st for me when running the model for win equity. Uh, the safety number has me somewhat concerned. But as Nick mentioned, this is a price grab above all else. And I also have this at about 55 points of value. So I'm going to take the difference that we have in this number. I'm going to take the advantage and play it. It's, you know, you can play it for a half unit. You can even play it for a little bit less than that. I'll probably be a little bit less than that. But uh, that's that's what I'm looking at this week. And I do think that it's a price that we can grab and hope to get the best of it. But do you have anything else for us? I had, I mean, I was very close to getting there with Tringalia plus 130, but yes. I don't know. They, he's just too volatile for me. I would have liked that to be right around 150. I think I would have punched a ticket because my price was plus 105, so I didn't have quite 30 points of value, so I didn't really get there. Um, but no, that's kind of where I move that exposure on my card to Sunjay M in the matchup market. So, and not fading anybody, I'm just riding Sunjay M this week. Yeah. But no, those are the only two top 40 markets. I guess, I mean, we have one that you'll talk about in a minute that on principle we had to take. Um, I was close to having value on Aaron Wise, minus 110 on DraftKings, I believe was the price in the top 40 market, but I do not think I could eat juice on Aaron Wise. Yeah, I had the same problem there. I like Aaron Wise. I don't have a problem with it. I wish he would have been plus 110. If you could have flipped that 20 yeah. points of value there, yeah. I would have been in. And then uh, the two plays that actually were the last two that didn't make my card were Cameron Tringali and Ricky Fowler. Maybe this is just an answer that if you want to play them in GPP contests, that might be the route to go, especially with Tringali. He's probably going to be two or 3%. And even with Fowler at six or 7%, the great course history, I think the form is turning around. But the final plays I will give will be Lucas Glover top 40. That is plus 225 on DraftKings, plus 190 on FanDuel. I tend not to love the upside that Glover possesses because of the putter, but the irons are absolutely dialed in at this moment, gaining 14.9 shots over his past two starts. The price at plus 225 is about 70 points off in my model, which is a substantial amount. And he ranks 10th in this field when looking at a reweighted proximity mixture to mimic Mirfield. I love that the irons are already looking sharp. And now he gets a course that should accentuate that strength. So I'll take the significant edge I have in my model and hope that Glover can make a few putts to maintain a top 40. Um, Eric Van Royen plus 170 FanDuel plus 125 DraftKings. The edge does start to shrink quickly on this when I run it for safety, which is the most critical factor of a top 40 wager. But it's a similar spot, as I've mentioned, with Glover. And, you know, probably even if we're just looking from a bet standpoint with Matt Jones, but specifically with Glover, this is a spot where the ball striking has been on point for a few months and the putting can't seem to get out of the dumps. The small field helps somewhat when trying to get into the weekend. And I do like his upside if he can happen to make a few shots with the flat stick. I have no issues playing this at a book where you can get ties paid in full if you want to push the envelope maybe to a top 20. But the plus 170 price is worth a dabble in my mind because of how well he is striking the ball. And as Nick alluded to, I finished by also grabbing Chan Kim at plus 440 on FanDuel. That number was too good to bypass. Kim is the top leverage play on my board for DraftKings on a golfer that doesn't have an injury concern. Uh, Tringali and Daniel Berger would be second and third if you're trying to find someone a bit safer. But that will be for me. Siwoo Kim plus 115. Matt Jones plus 225. Uh, Chan Kim plus four, 440. Should be the money if you ask me, but yeah. you're not. Well, I just assume you make them a minus number at this <laughs> oh, point. Oh, every time, yeah. There's a chain Kim factor, similar to your web shenanigans you did live on air last week. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What is your overall rank on Chan Kim? Not good. 
Uh, I might be the Chan Kim whisperer this week where I actually like him more than you do. 77th. So it's not terrible, but it's, that's pretty bad. But he's he's just such a bad putter and he's not good around the green, which is weird because on the Japan tour, he is actually like pretty good around the green. But I mean, he's lights out off the tee. We don't need to talk about Chan Kim. He's probably going to win. Um, we'll get into the outright in a second. But no, Chan Kim, four to one, four and a half to one, finished top 40. I like that. When I'm looking for leverage in my model on DraftKings, which is kind of what I was talking about. So I'm seeing that he's about a third of a percent owned right now. And so he's 64th overall in rank. When I run this for upside, he is 48th overall. The safety pushes him to 97th, which is where this like mixed bag of he's probably going to miss the cut. But if he doesn't miss the cut, a top 40 becomes very intriguing to me because my model likes him the more like the more rounds he can get in, the more that it likes him. And that's a simple answer to say for everybody. Like naturally, if you're going to play more rounds, the model is going to like you a little bit more. But Chan Kim sees maybe the most substantial jump I've ever seen from that. Say less. I'm in. <laughs> All right, Nick. Anyone else that you wanted to talk about before the outright bets? Uh, no. Yeah, I touched on Aaron Wise. I was close to getting there. Um, Luke List. There was some value to me at plus 175 on the top 40 market, but I think with a guy that volatile, I found more value on the outright at 180 to 1. So that'll be my first outright is Luke List at 180 to 1, unless you hate him. No, I would, if I'm going to play him, I would rather push it to, you know, let's start at a top 20. Yeah. want to play him as a top yeah. 10. Those are going to be at books that more so pay ties in full, but the outright is the same sort of sentiment there. So I don't have a problem with that. He has that same positive upside that you're looking for a negative safety trajectory. So I think as like a top 40 bet that somebody I would ignore just for that reason, but just the upside alone, when you want to push the envelope a little bit, he makes sense. But my first play will be Jordan Spieth 22 to one. I'm willing to ignore the putter and focus in on the ball striking that places him second in this field over his past 24 rounds. It's almost opposite world with him. with what we usually talk about where he can't make a putt right now and he's dominating elsewhere. So I think he's worth a shot at the price tag that he's able to put all the qualities of his game together at the same time. The fact that he has found success at Mirfield in the past only enhances my hopes for that being the case. And we have seen him gain on these exact greens in seven of his last eight attempts on the course. That means something for, to me for a guy that I know if the putter can just get hot, he can win. So my first play is Jordan Spieth, 22 to one. Where did you go after Luke List? The shortest play for me was Xander Shoffley, 22 to one, just because I have to bet Xander. Um, but he's it's got great course history. Yeah, it is. I need help. But Xander, 22 to one. My model had him at 18 to one. So only four points yeah. of value there. But I mean, the course history here is pretty solid, too. I think he's got three straight top 15 finishes. So just, you know, a couple straight. No one was catching around the year he won, but. Alexander. I always like Xander, but yeah, it's just an addiction play. So just mute the last minute of the show because it's just me being a fanboy at this point. I say this every single Wednesday that we reach a point as the week goes on that I convince myself that Xander is going to win. And it's one of those things where it's, have I put enough units of exposure at risk that I don't go back to it? Because that's the one thing about myself. <laughs> you trap yourself. Just no, I, don't, I don't do allow it. it. And it's one of those things where like, if nothing else with myself, I am very on top of it. Not, not that there's only a certain amount of units that I will put into exposure into a week. If the card's really good, I can go above or, you know, below the total on it. But as far as outrights go, I do like to lock it into where, you know, the plays are somewhere between maybe 0 0.8 units to about 1.2 unit. And the 1.2 unit thing would be 
the in-tournament place like kind of being non-existent because I'm not going to be able to get there. And as of right now, I'm a little bit less than a unit. I just don't have room for Xander, but I don't have a problem with him. I'm just going to keep playing the same game though, where if he's not 30 to one, I'm going to ignore it. But my model this week, like Xander, which is probably what you could say every week, but for me, it's going to be a pass for that reason. So uh, my second play is going to be Hideki Matsuyama, 28 to one. As I mentioned at the beginning of the show, Matsuyama graded number one in my model when removing putting from the mix altogether. That isn't something we should be doing since it still matters marginally, but we saw him win at the course in 2014 when he gained negative 0.1 shots to the field with the flat stick. Anything around neutral could have him near the first page of the leaderboard. And if we somehow can get better upside with the putter from him, I really think the upside is through the roof for him. Yeah, I love him in this spot. Uh, next one for me is Sunjay M37 to 1 on FanDuel. So I grabbed Sunjay M at 40 to 1 at an offshore book. Uh, 37 is the best I see on the legal end. And I think he makes the most interesting case study of the group. We know course history matters, and he hasn't come inside the top 50 in three tries. But at what point can we attribute the poor results to bad form entering the week and not a disdain for the layout? So what I mean by that is in the weeks leading up to the memorial during the three attempts that he did not come inside the top 50, Sungjae Iron's numbers had taken a nosedive. He averaged negative 1.76 shots with his irons during the three starts before the miscut in 2021. He averaged minus 2.68 between a five tournament span in 2020 with the approach game. And the same thing can be said during his 57th in 2019 a run that saw him average negative 2.85 with the irons over four tournaments. That scenario is not going to be in play this week as he has averaged 2.7 at the Charles Schwab and RBC Heritage. And I think there might be an opening in all markets for those that deep dive the numbers. And I think that's one of the reasons why Nick and I are as high on him, whether it's in a head-to-head, a GPP contest. I wouldn't play him in cash games uh, on DraftKings, but I think anywhere else you can kind of do it in you know, in the right head-to-head matchup, I think Nick and I are both going to him also. Yep, and that is one of my favorite plays this week. Me too. All right, Nick, what do you have next? Do you want to run out the rest of your Yeah, I'll, I'll just go. It's real quick for me. Uh, Corey Connors, 60-1, had a little bit of value on that ticket. I think it's a pretty decent course for him for a guy that we you were used to seeing at like 35-1 to 1 all year long, so I'll buy the dip on Corey Connors. Seamus Powers, 66-1 to 1 on Camby Shops. That's your bar stool, uh, Bet Rivers, Twin Spires, whoever else is still alive with Camby out there. Um, Siwoo Kim, hundred to one on Bet MGM was by far like twenty points better than offshore anything else in the legal market. So I love that price if it's still there on Bet MGM. Um, I mentioned Luke List at one hundred eighty one, and then I had to because I had to again. Um, this is always my retirement bet if it ever comes in. I'm done. Chan Kim, seven hundred and fifty to one on Bet MGM. One of these weeks, it's going to come in. This is a really good course for him. Like, I'm going to throw this out there and, and you can pull If the one of the Kims wins, I'll just put it this way. It'll be a great, great week for me because I'm rather heavily exposed to that Siwoo 100 to 1 number. Um, but yeah, I mean, if Chan Kim wins, that'd be even better. But I'm just one of the Kims. Let's get it done because I love them both this week. Yeah, I considered Corey Connors. I think he's a very intriguing play. Uh, I considered Seamus Power. I considered Siwoo Kim, but I finished with Daniel Berger at 60 to one. You can get that on DraftKings. My model loves his upside. It worries a little bit about his floor, but that is the combination we are looking for on outrights when second place is going to be as good as a miscut when you don't have exposure to each way betting. 
as I said, I strongly considered Siwoo Kim. The best I could find was 80 to one. I wish I had that 100 to one number out there. I do believe he should be closer to 60 to one, but I likely would prefer getting extra exposure to him on a head to head so I can leave some room for outrights during the event. Maybe something like Nick said in a head to head matchup against Gary Woodland might be the preferred way for me to play this uh, because as I'm pretty much in lockstep with Nick there too, that Woodland is just not a player I'm looking to get exposure to. And with my model liking Kim as much as it does, I think there are different ways to play him. But uh, yeah, no arguments for me there, man. Anything else before we let everyone get out of here? No, I mean, well, I guess real quick, but similar to what you said about Sanjay, you kind of studied the form coming into the event on the past three when he's not been good here. But uh, Siwoo, that's like, I love this top 40 play so much because he doesn't really show great form leading into this event. And this event always seems to be like a get right spot for him. So in terms of the safety, the fact that it was plus money at, you know, plus 115, I think it's just, it's one of the favorite bets I've had all year. I think other than Scotty minus 150 at waste management. Um, I I hope I'm not overselling this pick. I just, my model seems to think like it already cashed. So (laughs) if once it didn't think that about Harmon as much, but that was just me being, you know, an asshole to the book there. Just keep (laughs) betting it. And, you know, again, they beat me, but no, I, it's it's good to see that you kind of looked in the same thing with Sanjay that I kind of looked at with Siwoo. I was like, okay, well, he always plays well here. I wanted to check the years past because he hasn't been impressive lately. He hasn't done a whole lot, but that's kind of what the case of Siwoo is every single year. He's nothing really special, and he comes to this event and places in the top 20, top 30, and that's all I need from him this week. Yeah, and, and like for me, I know we were talking about how we do our unit exposure for these bets, and like for me on a placement bet, I if I bet a unit on somebody, that's a very large play for me. And if I go larger than that, uh, that's like one of my bombs of the year. And it's very infrequent that we get a wager like that. And unfortunately, last week, I did have a unit on Stuart Sink, which let's talk about Stuart Sink for one second. That was incredible. I texted you this after the second round. He had 10 birdies. Uh, Scotty Scheffler was in first place. He had 12 birdies. One guy is going to win the tournament. It looks like at that point, the other one misses the cut. So I think my model was correct on Stuart sink being a very good top 40 wager. Just he made way too many mistakes there, but this play, even on top of that, my model likes more. So as of right now, I have a unit on it, but I'm probably going to extend it a little bit more and make it my biggest play that I've made in a long time on a top 40 also. All right. Well, I uh, right now my card is six units flat. That's all I really accounted for to leave one and a half in play. And that's a 0.95 unit risk on Siwoo Kim. So maybe I'll I'll juice it up a little bit if you do. And solidarity, of course. Yeah, I probably will. I'll let you know what happens there. But as always, <laughs> Nick, let everyone know where they can follow you. At Sticks Picks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. And thank you guys all for the support. And sorry about Harmon last week. That's on, that's on the hammer kit. That's not me. I didn't make the play he did, but you know. He also made Siwoo this week, so we'll see what happens. <laughs> you you can find Nick, as he said, on Twitter at Sticks I am on Twitter at Tee Sports. The two of us can be found together at Better Golf Pod. And if you have any questions about the tournament, please feel free to reach out to us at one of those handles. I am running my $300 giveaway if Jason Day wins the Memorial. So be sure to follow us on Better Golf if you want to enter the contest. But good luck this week to everyone wagering money on the tournament. And we will see you guys back here next week.